No pun intended. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Across it, Illigan for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. This call is being recorded. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Five Stripe Final, the only highly distributed audio discussion discussing all things Atlanta United. Probably the yeah. only place you're going to find discussion about this game. The, the only single place you're going to find anybody talking about Atlanta United versus Aridiano. And Joe still, and still the first uh-huh. and only highly distributed yeah. audio discussion. Yeah. You, it's it's amazing, yeah, because like the, the podcast market obviously got super flooded very mm-hmm. quickly, and mm-hmm. it's amazing that no one wants to uh, hop hop on this bandwagon. Yeah, well, look, we we saw we saw a gap in the market, and we're filling it. We're filling it. We're here to fill all your needs and other things as well. Uh, Joe, that sucked. Yeah, that did. <laughs> that was uh oh man. It was like the last, obviously, obviously, the, like the last thing you want to see out of your favorite team in the first out of game, the lads. And this always seems to happen to us. Like this <laughs> happened last. The same exact thing. We're very close so, iteration of it happened last season. Right. And here's my thing. I, and I we recorded a very sad H dad in my car. Well, I, which I, I think it was our first H dad. <laughs> it was the very first one. It was like a live Twitter thing. We were going to try to record an actual show from the bar we were at and that didn't work out that was before we knew what we were doing right totally and we we have figured that out i think at this point maybe uh but my thing with that game was to an extent it was really funny like i don't know something about the way the goals happened for houston and then miguel almiron clinging a penalty off the post Mm-hmm. And people yelling like he's got to learn to take penalties with his right foot and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, um, it, was, it was comical to me. I remember like me and uh, Harris Krishkish and Scott Zoino uh, from DSS were watching, and I like fell over laughing at one point because it was just so funny. This one I was just kind of mad. This one I just didn't really enjoy it too much. Like I, I knew that like there were thirty three other games to play in the MLS season. Obviously, everything worked out well. Well, this one, it kind of was, it's kind of upsetting. I don't know why it was more upsetting, but it was annoying. It was an think, annoying game. I think for me, I felt the same way. And I think for me, it was because it looked like a team that hadn't really trained together before. It looked like they were right. playing for the first time. And I, that's what makes me upset is when, you know, this team has been in training camp for two weeks. They were mm-hmm. training for, you know, a week or two before that. And like, I get it. That's not even a lot of time to be training together, but still like it looked so there, there was so little, um, not communication, but just like an understanding of like where each other were going to be on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's not like this is like a huge overhauled team. Like this is largely the same group that played last season. You know, it's not like it's like, uh, you're missing Miguel Almiron and he's a big piece. But other than that, and you've got a great player to replace him. Um, other than that, you're playing with largely the same kind of squad. And it's very concerning to see that same squad seeming like they're complete foreigners to one another. Absolutely. No one looked like they had any idea what they were doing. It just looked 
completely disjointed. Like Houston last year, some goofy stuff happened. LGP had his yearly mistake that's horrendous and makes everyone scream at him and think he's bad for some reason, even though there's like a million other games to suggest otherwise. But Houston just seemed kind of like a fluke. This seemed this seemed like we really kind of brought it on ourselves more than yeah. anything. Yeah, so, um, and I think part of it is like, you know, the Houston game was under the same manager. You know, we had, we were, it was our Mm -hmm. second year with the same manager. And so this is different in that respect. And I guess if we're just going to dive into the tactical portion of it right away, I want to kind of shy away from taking too many overarching um, takeaways from the game, like tactically in terms of the general, like the overarching structure. Um, So if we're arguing about, you know, how many midfielders we need in, in, in central midfield or, or it, should Miles Robinson be playing on the right side of the back three or in the, or in the middle of it? Uh, okay. I think these things are kind of s- semantics to an extent. I think that the bigger issue is just the overarching um, misunderstanding with each of the players with one another in terms of just where they should be on the pitch. And there was like, you could see it because when the team got into a defensive stance, it really then struggled to the whole, for the whole team to move up into the attack together and, and, and create an attacking move. Um, It usually, if the team was, had been kind of in a, in a dropped into a deeper block, then when they went on the attack, it was just Barco Pitti and Joseph just trying to do like a three man weave type thing um, on the break. Six people. Like that, there yes. was never ever a numbers advantage for us, yeah, in, yeah. in any sense. And that was something that we did so well last year. And we've done as a team for the last, you know, the two years of the existence of Atlanta United is find ourselves in, in quality situations where we're not just ramming our heads like, into the wall with three people charging it, an entire army of Rediano players. Uh, that was that was maybe the most frustrating mm-hmm. part for me is seeing just three people run directly into a wall over and over again. Yeah. And then uh, and on the opposite side of the coin, when the team did push forward and we really were trying to go for it, then we were just completely exposed. We had no structure um, Mm -hmm. or solidity to our defense. And I think that we were both kind of um, vaguely referencing this tweet that Teoto football had about, you know, (laughs) it's like when you know you're being beaten tactically, when it constantly seems like you're being outnumbered in every area of the pitch, it makes it seem like the other team has an extra player or something because right. it's just because really what tactics are is just the organization of your players in order to try to maximize your efficiency as a team, both in, in both the attacking and defensive phases. And it just mm-hmm. seemed like on Thursday we were um, on, we had the short end of the stick in both of those phases, which is not good. <laughs> so the way I tried to describe it was like we were playing foosball, you know, like foosball players, they're stuck on one line and you just kind of move them back and forth it kind of seemed like the sections were just frozen like only especially in possession you know so the midfield would stay on their line and the front three would be right there and that made sense to me when I was thinking about us in possession but then I remembered that we were also getting destroyed on every single break so it wasn't like the defense just hanging back in the back and, and picking stuff up there was just space everywhere everything seemed bad everything was bad yeah and i think you know when you talk about kind of the the stagnant positioning of the players you talk about being in like the three the foosball three four three Mm -hmm. um i think you know 
I think I speak for you when I say that it makes me worried that these are kind of the same things that have been the complaints about Frank DeBoer's teams at some of his other stops that haven't <laughs> gone so well. Oh boy, there's such a large discussion to to have about that and, and our and, confirmation biases and things yes. like that. But uh, and as I'm not far saying as like a PR move for Frank DeBoer in his first game, and with some people. A very small portion of people, you know, being worried about what could potentially happen. Uh, you know, it was not uh, the best start. Yeah. And I'm not saying, by the way, that I think that, you know, this is the start of exactly what happened in some of those other stops that shall not be mentioned. But um, it's just worrying. You know, it's just like it's yeah, it's confirming your fears. It's um, even if it's a, a false confirmation. Um mm-hmm. Because it because there are so many outliers about this game, right? There's the fact that Herediano's and already started their regular season. There's the fact that this was on a dry carpet um, that had some crazy bounces. Both just the bounces, literally the height of the bounces coming off the turf, as well mm-hmm. as like the way it spun. Um, I I posted a GIF if anybody. Um, has seen it. I'll try. I'll, maybe I'll share it again from Five Stripe Final about the way the balls was spinning on the on the turf and the way that the Herediano players were could just read it perfectly. Like they were like in position to take these bounces um, perfectly, and Atlanta was kind of scrambling. So there's obviously lots of reasons as to why Atlanta would look bad in this kind of game, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make me feel any better that they did. <laughs> right? No, we won't feel any better until. We show up on Kennesaw on Thursday and, and win for nothing. You know, it, I don't know it, that something has to happen positively for people for, will still be angry about that because it didn't happen no. in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. <laughs> well, shoot, man, when grave diggers come to town, what are you going to do? You clear the way. <laughs> OK, the so. Way. All right. We pause. We need to pause this. Um, I went, did a deep dive. I was really looking for a place where I could try to apply for a Monster Jam credential. Um, but, but where I found myself, where I ended up was on a monster jam message board, uh, which was fantastic. And and yeah. And, and I found like the, the monster jam website that has, they have standings for like the different cars and it's just called points. Like they just score points. I don't know how they score points. I don't know if that's like how many cars you fly over or. I don't know, but they're like, you know how the, the big 10 used to be called like the leaders and the legends, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, the divisions in, in, in monster jam, they have two divisions and they're called the fire and ice divisions. So it's the fire and ice standings. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's, um, first off, cool. Second off, um, edgy man that's edgy it's it's like uh some avatar the last airbender kind of stuff they need a yeah. earth division and a air division as well Sponsored i, I by like Monster. to think points are like crowd uh influenced you know like there's like a some kind of measure that goes out or how like a many, decibel uh, reading yeah like a decibel reading or, or how many people are nudging their buddy and saying hell yeah like any <laughs> hell yeah you get is like five <laughs> points you know they're um, not do- they're not going off of like social media analytics uh, that's that's too sure. far that's 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 a bridge too far yeah i wonder if there's like a gymnastic scoring kind of thing to it and like you know they're just kind of judging you on the grace of your your monster jam uh route or something I like think that there i don't is. know what we're talking about yeah i, th- I think you're right because okay. on the standings on the standings page there was a picture of one of the trucks and it was like 
up on off of all of its wheels like spinning it looked like it was like spinning like a top on its uh like on its on its trailer hitch or something mm. i don't know um or maybe it was just on its back wheels but anyway i think there is some sort of like dance it's like the the the, the, uh, it's the floor routine the floor routine yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing and amazingly every single song is by acdc that's that's crazy <laughs> you think there'd be more variety in monster jam but uh wow Wow. And you see the pictures of the of all the dirt being dumped on the field? Pretty sad. Yeah. Okay, so I have so many questions about the dirt. One, how do they find that much dirt? Two, how do they get it out? Because like if you if you yeah. go to like the beach or something like that and you get like sand on a towel, do you find sand in your car for five years afterwards, right? So yes. how do, how do they get all that dirt out? Where does it go? Or is Good it the point. same dirt? Do they like have the same dirt for every single Monster Jam trip, place, uh, event? You know, that's a that's a great question. I have not thought of the logistics. I would think they would, yeah, because I don't know where they would, what they would do with all of it. Um, and I'm sure there would be a huge. It would it's it would just be much more cost efficient for them to keep reusing the same dirt. I would think, but man, if anyone knows insight on as to dirt transportation and how. We're going to do a Monster Jam interview on our midweek show and figure all this out. Or like a deep dive DSS piece, something like that. This is why I won the credential. So I got to ask the uh, their their media communications person. uh, Did you not get the credential? No, I couldn't figure out where to where to try to apply to get one. Gosh, terrible. And and I think it's it's today. We're recording on Saturday. Oh, man. It's a bummer. Wait. So it's today. Yeah, it's not even next week. <laughs> next week, not going to have in a different place. So, and we can't play there Thursday because. I guess are they just leaving the, the dirt? I guess <laughs> they must have enough dirt for like two stadiums. So, like, <laughs> this is the this is the B dirt team and the A dirt team is going yeah. to the next stop. They just kind of they have two dirt carriers. This is fascinating, huh? What? How? I wanted to live tweet it. I wanted to like live tweet it from the Dirty South Soccer Twitter. I'm gonna be making jokes about it on Thursday, nonetheless. But still, whatever. Um, what were we talking about? I don't know. Grave digger. (laughs) Uh, we're. I think we. You just mentioned something about playing in Kennesaw. Anyway, I. Well, you're talking about the the turf over it in Heredia. Um. And I'm sure I'm butchering that because race in South yeah, Georgia. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Thank you. Um, apparently, height affects how you play on turf? Question mark? Oh, yeah. So we've been, uh, if you've listened to this HDAB for any period of time, you know we're all about the height. We love, we, <laughs> we have an interest in height. Height is important in and soccer. And why, Joe Patrick? And why? Because you can't goddamn teach it. That's why. That's true. Yep. And Frank DeBoer apparently believes the same thing because he said that what, what, what was his th- he said that he didn't want to play Breck Shea at left back because 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 of his yeah. height and the is fact it, that it was on turf. Yes. And Doug Roberson, bless his heart, who apparently had a fantastic trip down to Costa Rica. <laughs> um, it, an all time Twitter day from Doug on there amazing. with uh, all sorts of things going on. Um he said, he said in the press conference, Frank DeBoer mentioned something about not wanting to play Shea because of his height on turf. 
I'm sure Doug was extremely confused. His tweet reeked of confusion because, because of what? Um, he says, I didn't understand and couldn't get a follow-up asked. So, um, um, yeah, it sounded like it was like a mix yeah. zone where people were just walking through and basically they didn't even have to really stop and answer your questions if they don't want to. But, of course, the coach is probably going to answer some questions, but he's not going to answer many. Yeah. Um, it, so, so it's it's weird unpacking this because to me it seems like first of all it seems like if you're if you they knew they were playing on a surface that was going to be very firm and bouncy. Uh, they talked about this to us uh, in the media when we had our press availability with them on Tuesday, and you would think that if you knew the bounce the ball was going to bounce a lot, you would actually want someone tall so that if the ball bounces high, you know maybe they would have a better shot at getting ahead on it or stop knocking it down or something. Um, but the only thing I could think about is that it's like a physical thing where it's like harder on his joints or something to like for a tall person to play on turf. I don't know. Noted arthritis awareness enthusiast, Frank DeBoer. (laughs) Yes. It was all about the joints. Um, dude, I don't know, man. Maybe he saw the picture that tweeted before the game and was like, wow, he has fear in his eyes. We need to start bellow. Cause did you see that? The picture that Breck Shea posted? Was Frank DeBoer to, to call someone out for having fear in their eyes. <laughs> Very true. Frank DeBoer. I'm not getting into that discussion again. But yes. Yeah. Pot, kettle, Frank, Breck. Anyway. By the way, I, we should, I should tell you about um, when I, we talked to him for the first time, really. I mean, we talked to him at the introductory press conference. But mm-hmm. that's not really... You're not really having that great of an interaction because you're sitting way far away from him and he's sitting at a table and it's all very staged. Um, but when we talked to him Tuesday, I actually had a good impression of him. He seemed very straightforward answering questions. Cause mm-hmm. we, you know, obviously he had to kind of answer for a lot of the Darlington Nagby questions that people had. Cause they had just announced that or right before him, Darlington had come on and said he was basically back with the team and all that. So there were some questions that we had and he was very straightforward with his answers. He didn't like, have any kind of vagaries or um he, he just would just straight up answer the questions so i i appreciate that and i did ask him by the way about bellow and brick and he just said that it's been a great battle in preseason and that it sounds like to me he's gonna rotate those guys like maybe every other game like once the season starts you know and there's more scheduled congestion i don't I'm, sure. i'll be interested to see who starts uh in this game on thursday because yeah. you know it, like bellow was it wasn't wasn't good. He had the it lowest rating in our in in not ours, your player ratings. The community. Yeah, you guys. You guys, you the DSS reader. Uh man, <laughs> brutal rating. I mean, there are a it was lot one of the lower ones I've ever well seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is just taking it out on the poor kid. Um he was not great by any sense of the word. Um but like, was he the absolute worst player on the pitch? I don't know, man. Again, it for me, it comes down to, yes, he was ineffective and he was out of position a lot of times. Um, but to me, it comes down to just the overall structure of the team and that nobody was organized. Nobody right. was in the correct positions usually. Or when players were making runs, the, they would, you know, someone else would do something with the ball that put them in a bad position. So, yeah. Like, George, yeah, George he was Bello. bad, but I don't think it's like a, he was like individually bad. I think his badness right. is part of entangled in the team's badness. Bellow being a little bit too far forward 
doesn't inherently mean that Ariano is going to have two players and on goal behind the entire team. Right. You know, that's that's not just on Bello. That was probably the single worst goal I've ever seen Atlanta give up. But the second one, the yeah. second one where they got through with two people who just, I mean, at that point it was, it was over. It was completely just done. Um, that's about as bad as I've ever seen Atlanta defend. And I, I said terrible, terrible things when that it happened. Looked, it looked like a, uh, it looked like in football when there's like, it's just straight up man coverage all the way across the board. And mm-hmm. like one linebacker, like thought it was zone or something. And he just lets a guy go in behind him. And then it's just wide, just like a wide open space to run. You could literally put it, run a train through it. It's a very on brand description for us. Amazingly, you've made both the, uh, the football references today on this FSF. I've made zero so far. So, so keep that in mind, dear listener. It's usually me. Um, hey, I'm, yeah, a, I'm, I'm a baseball reporter now. So you're a baseball reporter now. <laughs> um, exactly. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, dude. Again, though, Bello not entirely at fault. Go easy on. Him. He's just a kid. Just a young. He's just a lad. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put too much stock into. Yeah, I wouldn't put too much stock into this performance individually for anybody. Really, right. it's more of a collective issue, not an individual well, issue. That does want to make. Uh, that does lead me to a question that I want to ask. A lot of people very excited about how things improved with Nagby. Coming on for Lorenowitz, can we go mm-hmm. ahead and, and chalk that up as the best option for the team playing Nagby as part of that uh, the midfield instead of uh, Lorenowitz? Oh yeah, I think so for sure. And it's funny because during the game, I was like, I was kind of one of the ones I put it out there that I wouldn't, I personally would not have sub Nagby in at least at halftime. I, I may have put him in for the last 10, 15 minutes because you want to build some fitness. But he actually looked pretty fit and. Um, I just thought he would be, it was just the rustiness. I would not have wanted to put him in. And to be fair, DeBoer did not put him in as one of those two in central midfield. He put him in for Barco. So there wasn't as much defensive responsibility on him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he looks, he he was the community's um, highest play, rated player. And I think that that's right. He, he, he did kind of provide Atlanta um, with some of their best stuff that they played during the game. So I would definitely play him. And I think that that it really, we really missed him in that central midfield pairing. You could see Remedi is just, you know, for as good as he can be in like these brief moments um, with the ball at his feet, he's really not the natural guy you want in central midfield trying to progress the ball forward. He's really a defensive midfielder who can occasionally pull off, you know, something. Um, So so I think we need Nagby next to him. Right. So let, let's talk about getting back to the foosball midfield. Let's talk about the connecting factors between, you know, the, the three tiers of any formation. Yeah. Last year, the plan was in a lot of cases, get the ball to Miguel, right? And, and have him kind of carry yep. it forward. And that was part of the, a big part of the interplay between, you know, the front three and whatever the hell we were doing by the end of the year yep. last year. Um, yeah. How do we, how do we make up for that? At this point, is Nagby the the sole answer to it? How does it get sorted out? Yeah, I mean, if if I knew, I would uh, probably you know have a coaching gig, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you're you're totally right. In that last year, the way we progressed the ball was literally Miguel was the connecting point from Joseph to the rest of the team, and 
Miguel was, he's so mobile. He could drop back and provide you as being like one of those three central midfielders and then make these lung busting runs forward um, to connect to Joseph and, and be the provider for him. So I think what we saw out of Pitti Martinez uh, and Ezekiel Barco for that matter is that they're not that guy, you know, they're not the guy who's going to, although, you know, Barco wants to run with the ball, but they're just, they don't have that same speed. They don't have the same ability to move up the pitch that, that fast. So I think there's going to need to be some more kind of passing movements some passing combinations that, um, that make up for that ball progression instead of just someone carrying it on their foot literally and, and running it up towards Joseph. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, I think that's why I think Nagby will be good in one of those central midfield spots because he is a guy who can do more of that kind of thing. So is the answer trying to keep possession more or is there more of a direct option that we should be taking or, or what? what? Well, yeah, it's a good question. And I, I, <clears throat> it, it, we don't know really, but right. like that was part of the issue is I think that this team is set up to be a more possession team because you don't have those like a super fast player like Miguel Almiron in there to, to, to be that counterattacking threat. Um, you have guys like Pitti Martinez and Ezekiel Barco who are, you know, good in tight spaces and, and can like, m- you know, manipulate and maneuver themselves in the final third very well but they're not as good at, like we saw in the game against Rediana, like you, you mentioned, you know, like running into a brick wall. Um, mm-hmm. That's not, doesn't seem to be at least at this point, their strength uh, running centrally like that. So yeah, I mean, time will tell how it plans out, but I think that the team needs to be more possession based. And they, I think that that was kind of one of the breakdowns. I think they will kind of turn out to be that type of team, but they weren't for a large por- par- portion of the season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, like under Tata Martino, everyone talks about the possession style and the pressing and all that, but really that's not what the team was last that year. By the end, right? Yeah, like the, I think Atlanta was like right middle of the table, maybe even like slightly lower than average uh, in possession per game. So mm-hmm. uh, last season, which complete opposite, first season we were second. Uh, we had the second most possession to Sporting Kansas City. So you know. It's going to take some time to adjust the tactics. And hopefully, I, like my concern, or not concern, but just my hope with DeBoer is that he gets, he's comfortable enough with this squad where he can like chew them out when he needs to and mm-hmm. not have them kind of like turn on him or, or, or feel some sort of angst against him. Because I remember there were games last year where Tata, like the players would talk about Tata giving him, giving them an earful uh, at halftime. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Seemed like it helped. I remember in one of the games they were winning at halftime, and then they came out and won. I think real big. They they you know they added to their to their lead and won the game at the end. And I remember I think it was Joseph after the game was like, yeah, the Tata told us to uh, what do you say? It was some like very American phrase um, <laughs> that he mentioned, but basically that like yeah. Tata just giving them the the hair dryer treatment uh, at halftime, even though they had supposed like seemingly played well, but obviously there was like something in there that Tata hated and made sure that they knew about it. And so I'm not sure that Frank DeBoer has that kind of capital yet. For, for those of you that have ever had like a step parent, you know, I wonder yeah, if it's a yeah. similar dynamic. Like, why is this person telling me what to do now? And obviously it's a little bit different with a, a professional atmosphere and stuff like that, but it may it's, be harder to, to gain that authority for a little bit. I, it's a good question. I wonder. We'll yeah. never know, but I wonder... I mean, 
I think with anybody, it just takes time when you are working under somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what job it is. It takes some time for them to build that social capital with you, you know, to build the, that goodwill where they can, you know, you can be firm with them when you need to be firm and and things will still be okay. You know, Um, if you can, if you have, if you went to a new job and you had a boss immediately kind of criticizing your, you know, your performance, Mm -hmm. that would be tough. So, yeah. And one thing that has not been on Frank DeBoer's side in the past few years is time. So uh, we'll see if this plays out yeah. any differently. Uh, what did you think of Petey? I loved him. I thought he was great. Or, I mean, I thought he was really fun to watch. Obviously, like we've talked about tactically, I don't, there are some things to work out, but you can really mm-hmm. see some of the talent. I mean, right away, he, he didn't mega guy, but he did one of those things where he like touches it. He makes a quick touch that goes around him and just left a guy in the dust. And, oh, yeah. um, he was just doing that kind of stuff all night. He was just like, it seemed like he was dribbling for fun just to like make people miss. Yeah. You you can instantly see the talent level there. There was one where he, he probably dribbled through and around five different people it ended up not resulting in anything because again, they had a ton of people back when we were in possession uh, because that's just the way that night went. But you could see just how on a different level he kind of was. And then, MLS ain't ready, I don't think, especially when this unit gets a little more cohesive. But the most entertained I really was all night was there was a string of about five minutes where PD took shots from like 35 yards, 30 yards, and maybe like 40 yards. And probably all three of them hit somebody in the face. Yeah. And I enjoyed that immensely. They were I all did. rockets. You could just yes. see them coming off his foot. They were coming off with so much speed. He, was, he struck them clean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's he's gonna score some bangers, y'all. As soon as he figures out how to not send the ball right to someone's head, it's going in the goal. So yeah, his, excited about that. His dribbling is like magic. It's like he can really see incredible. things in slow motion or something. I, I don't. It's weird. People are mm-hmm. like sticking their feet in, and he's just pulling it back, and it's like he has it on a string. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the hype spectrum, Ezekiel, of course, starts in this one. What did you think of Zeke? And uh, just kind of wondering, Tito was another one of those substitutions that came on and seemed to kind of make an impact and change things up. Uh, your thoughts on whether a secular or Tito is the best option for us in the 3-4-3? Did you just say on the other side of the spectrum, on the hype spectrum, Ezekiel yes. started? Right. <laughs> Look, I'm just, I actually, I'm the voice of the people here. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just messing with you. I thought, I thought Ezekiel Barco was good. I, I saw a lot of people who thought otherwise because when he gets fouled, it, it, him, Barco getting fouled is an odd thing. I for mo- typically it's a satisfactory result for, you know, when you're on the ball, you get fouled in the attacking third or wherever in the attacking mm-hmm. half. You know, generally, okay, good job. You 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 did something so well that the other team had to foul you to stop you. But with him, for whatever reason, people really are like, get up, you know, be stronger. <laughs> um, because he does go down a lot. I think he looks for the he fouls. And, um, and in his defense, he's about 5'2", 100 pounds. Yeah, he so, is really, really, know. really small. Um, but yeah, <laughs> someone, I mean, like... I, someone tweeted at me for, at the DSS account that he looked like Grindelwald. From the um, the <laughs> Fantastic Beast Harry Potter spinoffs or whatever you want to call yeah, it, yeah, yeah. just go look at the picture of Grindelwald. It's perfect. <laughs> anyway, continue. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think it was similar to the Barco that we know where he was, you know, you can obviously see he's a talented player. He mm-hmm. was dribbling, he was doing good things. And then, you know, around the final third, he just couldn't find the, the space to pull the trigger where it seemed like he did, but obviously yeah. he in the it's moment a- felt like he didn't have the room to, to, to shoot. And to be fair, again, it does seem like no one really had that space Thursday night. You know, yeah. There was no one, not even, like anyone was making overlapping runs or anything like that or trying to get in behind. It wasn't like he could play the ball in aggressively. It did look like he was making somewhat of a concerted effort to, to look forward with the passes and everything like that, but no one was there Thursday. So here's, um, I know I said let's not get bogged down in tactical minutia, but one thing about this attack is I don't know how I'm feeling about Pity and and Barco both cutting inside. You know, play, they're playing inverted, so they're both wanting to come centrally. And then Joseph is also central, obviously, and mm. he doesn't kind of know what run to make. You could see him trying. He was trying. He was making runs, but you know, it was just not really lining up with the vision that those Pity and jo- and uh, Barco had uh, with him. They didn't have that connection. And it was just it to me, it just seemed like it was getting way too congested in the like right at like the top of the box, basically, with those three players kind of coming together. And then they were so close to one another. There were no really there were no other passing options other than the the wingbacks coming on those wide overlaps. But often they oftentimes they were kind of lagging to get up there because the ball was mm-hmm. moving forward so quickly. So, you know, I think that's something that they that could be considered by by DeBoer. I don't think he's going to make drastic changes yet, but it's something to keep an eye on to see kind of how Joseph adjusts to having those inverted wingers because a lot of what we've seen in at, at Atlanta United is Joseph playing with a guy like Tito who's on his natural side on the right. Same with mm-hmm. Gressel, obviously, on the right, which obviously we saw on Thursday. But having at least one kind of natural-sided player that can provide him more service from wide areas instead of providing him with like slipping him in through balls from a central zip from a central area. Cause it's a different run that he has to make. So right. I think there will be some, some growing, growing pains there getting used to that. Yeah. Growing pains is kind of the thing that I, and to an extent you can kind of point out that it was the first game and growing pains like that. But again, the concerning thing is that everyone kind of looked lost, uh, which is not growing pains. It's just kind of, I don't know. That's, concerning more than anything <laughs> hopefully it, it kind of works out to where everyone kind of understands a little more and we get things figured out but I, I think the tito discussion is somewhat interesting like you mentioned it's just a different feel for joseph up top with with two players who are more focused on getting centrally um so it may make more sense yeah essentially in the long run to, to have tito out there a little more often and tito, doing something different than what pd's trying to do yeah tito's a really interesting proposition to think about because he's just a total different profile of player than Barco right. or Pitti, you know, who are those two are both kind of the same mm-hmm. as to where Tito is much different in terms of the speed he provides, the width he creates and the attack. Like he creates a t- actually good op, uh, chances to, to have a go at goal from those wider areas too. Uh, yeah. We saw him, he banged one off the post and in, in stoppage time it, he nearly scored from one of those wide areas. So yeah, I think that, you know, it it pains me because this team, to me, feels like it's set up very well to play in a 4-2-3-1. And we just, from Frank DeBoer's track record, we just know that that's something we're almost surely not going to see. <laughs> but it wouldn't, doesn't it seem perfect to have 
just take out one of those center backs that you played with last night, play with yeah. Bello and Gressel at right at right back at or at fullbacks. You could play with you could in a four two three one. You can play with Lorenowitz and Rometty. You can you can right. play them there, and then just play Barco, you know, centrally, and then Pitti and Tito. Like that seems to me like that's the that's the lineup where you're getting the most talent on the field at the same time together. Absolutely, and, and we said that right kind of when the season ended last year. That was yeah. our idea was that we would go to this four two three one, and obviously that's not been the case, but. FDB gonna FDB, so so who knows? Yeah. But who it'll knows? be really it'll I, to your point I, about Tito to bring it back to him. I think it'll be mm-hmm. really interesting to kind of see if he's able to force his way into the side. I think he should be able to, or he at least has that opportunity to do so. And if he does, then what happens? You know, what who does that affect? Who the, uh, probably Barco? I'm thinking, but maybe Barco, maybe DeBoer could find another position for Barco to play if he goes to a four three three. So who knows? Yeah. Time will tell. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move it along just a little bit here, and uh, we can go ahead and start trying to well, answer what. Hold on. What we need to talk about LGP because he was one of the uh. lowest. He was one of the lowest rated players as well. I think he was second lowest behind George Bello in, in the community ratings, and he was bad. Like I remember, there was yeah. one point where he had like three incomplete passes in a row. Uh, like passes going right to defending uh, opposition players. It was bad. And I feel like, and he, and he was also bad. He struggled to kind of read the game. You know, it seemed like things were moving fast for him, which is the opposite of how he normally is. Normally he's very good at this kind of thing, at these kinds of things, both passing, playing on the ball, and then obviously reading, reading the game. So it's just kind of uh-huh. funny to me. It seems like he's an absolute mess to start every season. And then by the end of the season, we'll be talking about, you know, he really should have been in the best 11. Uh, the, <laughs> right. the, MLS, the MLS team of the year. You know, he he should have been there. Exactly. Well, of course, last year he started off that horrendous game against Houston. Um, so I have, a, I have a theory about why this keeps happening. Okay. And my idea is that LGP, LGP is obviously very bright. You know, he came, yeah. when he came to Atlanta, he was like, I'm going to learn English. And he did that like within a few months, uh, just a really bright and smart dude. Um, so it's weird to see him making like mistakes like that. So my idea is that, he overthinks things during the off season. Like the off season gives him just a little bit too much time to think, you know, and start like tinkering with things like, okay, I'm going to try to learn mm. how to do this and how to do X thing. And here's this new trick I'm working on and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then he kind of gets into the game and none of it works because he's just really kind of, he gets away from what makes him so good. And so by like the middle of the season, he's got less time to think. So he's just kind of back yeah. to he reverts back to regular LGP and he stopped uh, trying to do all the like big flips and everything like that that uh, gets him in trouble early on. Yeah, um, that's my ridiculous half baked theory. Um, it's probably just a weird coincidence, but still, it's, kind of, it's fun to attribute a reason to it. I mean, I think it's that's probably not even just him. I think that's for a lot of guys. A lot of guys at this stage of the season are thinking too much, and it's not you know things aren't natural, and then. Once the games are coming thick and fast, things kind of start to click a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not super worried about it. It's just one of those things. Um, <laughs> someone six months from now will try to use this in a, in a Twitter thread about how LGP isn't good at anything and should be yes. sent off to uh, the Argentine third league or something like that uh, when he's been the best defender all year. So, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. All right. Cues? Questions? Yeah. Let's see. We'll, we'll try to go and get these. Some of the stuff we've already kind of touched on, uh, but we can, we can start here. Uh, Gregor Smith at FLC asked, we're going to over, overreact about Bello like we did slash do about Barco. And Gregor, buddy, it's already here. It's already <laughs> here. It's exciting. Um, guys, he's 17. Chill. Yeah. He's fine. That's all, that's all he's going to be fine. In fact, he's going to be he's going to be more than fine. He's going to be great. Yes. Yes, and he's going to get us a lot of lot of money someday. Yeah. Cuz he's a genius and a prodigy and a beautiful person. Uh next one comes from Zach Lane at Zach Attack on Twitter. Uh he says, "How do you feel about Parky playing as a wide CB despite his distinct lack of pace?" Uh, I think it's generally not a huge deal, but I'm definitely more comfortable with him in the middle, not taking Miles into account. We didn't really get, we didn't mention Miles in our discussion, which is interesting, which I guess is yeah. a good thing. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't. It's, but it's funny, though, when you're reading this question, I did mention this exact thing and say it's something we we shouldn't be that concerned about, like where, where the players played in the back three. I will say, though, I do think that this team would be better off having Parkhurst in the, in the central area so I, I would have a a bit of a issue with the way that frank DeBoer deployed those three but mm-hmm. you know i'm not going to get too too in too much of a fuss over it right now but i will say yeah i think that miles robinson is better served in that wide central center back uh or the right center back position because he is better in those one-on-one in those yeah. one-on-one opportunities michael parker said he was like the best one-on-one defender he's ever seen in his life wow yeah, he said that on Tuesday. That was it was kind of shocking. <laughs> That's like, extremely what? impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, of course, we may eventually see Florentine Pogba in this as well. There's some interesting yeah. center back options, especially when Franco gets back. Especially yeah. when Franco gets back. I am That's kind cool. of concerned about Parkhurst. Just his general, the just the physical nature. I thought that he kind of struggled for for a good portion of the last half of the season last year. And he was able to pull it together. He played great in the playoffs. Um, but until then, I thought that he was he looked a step slow. Um, and I think he was dealing with some injuries, some some nagging ankle injuries or something like that. But it's something to keep an eye on. I think that, you know, you've got a guy in Leandro Gonzalez Perez who can pass the ball around, like Parkhurst is kind of known for. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. The players may, literally make fun of Parkhurst physical ability <laughs> they, i think they basically <laughs> consider mean, him as like a midfielder playing in defense yeah pretty much they make fun of that and his uh his dress sense as well <laughs> he does dress like a two, mid-2000s dad uh so easy target easy target yeah. for sure uh let's go to this one from tony jeroni at the tony jeroni who asked only one game in for fdb how long before we can start calling for a new coach and accepting that the tire is failed Asking for a friend's Tony. You can start now. You can six. start six, six. No, 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 no. I need as much chaos within the fan base as possible. Let's <laughs> let's start right now. Let's continue until we've won four different trophies and keep pushing that narrative. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, okay. I uh, I wonder when. We should try to get in touch with a Crystal Palace fan and 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 <laughs> figure out when, where along his six games, when did they, when were they clamoring for him to be 
to yeah. be fired before it actually I'm, I'm happened. Sure there's one out there that has like an exact moment, like minute 48 <laughs> game three, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and hopefully our fan base gets to that point one day. It'll be a ton of fun. I hope there was like a specific instance, like there was like a specific action that, that Frank DeBoer did like, we conceded a goal and the camera panned to him and he was texting or something like, right. <laughs> Yikes. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's get to this one for Michael Holcomb. Um, and it'll be our, our, our penultimate question. I got one more that I kind of want to get to, uh, but this is like, I don't know if you remember this, but like, and not to bring up anything too touchy, but during the uh, election 2016, there was one of the debates and at the very end, of the presidential debate, someone was like, can you guys just say something nice to each other? Yeah, I remember, I remember that. <laughs> so this one was, for Michael. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, this is um, Janice Smith. She's a second grade <laughs> teacher at, you know, yeah. Lakewood Elementary. <laughs> can't you guys just get along? Um, <laughs> great job, Janice. Way to go. Uh, this was, so Michael Holcomb asked, there was a lot of bad in the match. But what was the favorite thing y'all saw from the boys and Peach? Joe Patrick, what's a positive we can take from this? That's a great analogy to make for this question, by the way, Thank Sam. You. So Thank congratulations. I, I think mine would be Pity Martinez play. Um, but we have already talked about that. So I will go to my our second my second choice, which is Brad Guzan. I thought he was pretty good. And I really liked how steamed he gets when the team concedes. That really gives me a little bit of gratification at least it's like at least i know somebody is as mad as i am about this but he he made a he he stopped he saved at least one goal maybe two on some some fantastic saves there were a couple times at the very beginning where we were kind of wondering where brad was going with this night but he you're right he did kind of pick it up at the end Mm -hmm. made a few really solid saves for sure um i guess my positive is, is figuring out a little bit a little bit better where some of the pieces kind of fit in. Like, I think we will see Nagby start on Thursday. Um, I, I think we do kind of have somewhat of a better understanding of that. But my favorite thing, I guess, is that we've gotten that game out of the way. Hopefully, you know, that, that one game we're going to go back and look on and make the same LOL. That was preseason joke, uh, even though it wasn't. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's kind of nice to, to have that one out of the way. And now we can get back to, to doing the normal things. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, speaking of Thursday though, that's where I kind of want to push this as we kind of close this one out. Um, Marshall Voigt asked how big of a bus will be parked on the goal line next Thursday? And I think it's an interesting question because I'm not entirely sure how Erdiana is going to approach it. I imagine it will be very concacaf although they will not have the added benefit of having the people in hard hats come out to carry them off on a stretcher for five minutes <laughs> every single time they trip. That was crazy. That it was, was insane. Hilarious. That, it was it was very CONCACAF. Especially watching the people who weren't prepared for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because if yeah. you have the if you have experience with it, you knew it was coming and you knew it was gonna be just the silliest bullshit. But uh for, for the newcomers it was very much uh screaming and, and saying terrible things about the medics and, and the like. Yeah. But I, th- I think that, um, I mean, it, yeah, they're, they're going to sit deep. I, I, I think. And like you said, they're going to, 
you know, fake a lot of injuries, waste as much time as they can. But I still think they'll be dangerous, at least in the first half, especially um, trying to counter us and trying to get that road goal that would equalize equal, you know, kind of pretty much cancel ours out uh, and force us to score three if, if yeah. they if road they score goal. one. So road goal pretty much wraps it up, I think. And they had some success doing that against us in, in the home leg. Um, and they, and, you know, when you're playing a four four two style like they do, it's pretty easy to organize yourself in a, you know, a deep block and just have those two guys up top that can spring a counter. If the other team gets to, you know, if the other team overexposes themselves. And I think that that's something that Atlanta is definitely prone to do in this situation. So I think they're going to try to counter and they're going to have some chances. I think in the first half, I don't think it's going to be a complete bus parking. For sure. For sure. And Josh Bagronski was talking a lot in his rewatches of of this one about the numbers advantage Ariano got from playing two strikers mm-hmm. uh, because they were ending up in situations where they had numbers advantages and stuff. And it, it was interesting to me in an interview with Felipe Cardenas, the athletic Parkers was talking about how FDV was very focused on keeping them out of one-on-one situations defensively. Obviously that was not the case Thursday <laughs> yeah. uh, because sometimes it was two on zero. Yeah. It's like where so, we're, <laughs> like it I don't reminds know. me of uh in in Happy Gilmore, there's a part where he says, Where were you on that one, dipshit? And that's kind of what I felt when like reconciling the uh you know all right, make sure we have uh, a, a spare man at the back. Yep, I right, I got your back, <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> where were you on that as soon one? As, the, as, soon, as soon as the game starts, just nobody. Nobody back. <laughs> That could be one of our new uh, awards uh, for for a play of the night, or, or someone getting uh, called out for for a take or something like that. The, the where were you on that one, dipshit award? Mm-hmm. Be good, good bit. Um, but yeah, no. Hopefully that gets sorted out. I can't imagine Erdogan is going to change things up too much at all, especially with the way you know how successful they were. So we're probably going to see a lot of the same. Um, uh- by the way, much respect for their manager wearing a hat with the Holy blazer. smokes. Dude, it was like straight out of a early 2000s kind of hip-hop video, I, I guess is the only thing you can think of. Also, I think Kevin Federline used to do that a lot. <laughs> so oh, okay. we, got, we got bested by Costa Rican Kevin Federline, <laughs> which take that as you will and then go cry about it. Even I would not try to pull off a hat in a blazer. It was a flat bill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He looked, hey, yeah. I mean, it looked good. He, he, he I, I'd say he pulled it off. It looks better when you're winning. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Respect to him for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, need at least a two nothing or a three one to take an extra time, and all sorts of other results that are better explained on a chart. It's it's going to be interesting. Uh, games at Thursday, eight p.m. in Kennesaw. Uh, yeah, things got to go better. Things got to go better, Joe Patrick. Did your credential get approved? Yes, I will be there. Oh, yeah, good. Tweeting. So we'll both be there, and hopefully things will go show? better. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think we will that night. Okay, it'll just It'll be, be too much. Too much chaos going on. The the oh. press box is small. We won't. Oh, have, yeah. I don't think we'll have a. <laughs> we'll be in yeah. the uh, the trailers at Kansas. Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> maybe maybe we'll box. do something if we can. Maybe we'll go live, um, like on Twitter or something for a yeah. few minutes. And then we can do one right before the game where we tell our, our subscribers to smash that like button and 
hit that subscribe and join the notification squad. The squad. It's your boy, Sam for real over here. <laughs> um, uh, also, if anyone's still listening, um, you're probably listening to this on Monday and we will have another show out. I will try to get it out for Tuesday morning um, with an interview with a special, special guest. Nice. I should have a special guest uh, whenever their child stops being sick. So I'm working on that. <laughs> working on that. Excellent. We're going to try to get uh, some yeah. smart people in for, for we're calling it a nerd cast. We're going to do some analytics and stuff like that. Just kind of preview in the season. Nice. And um, yeah, so have we, we already explained this uh, in our preseason yeah. pod. Yeah, yeah. We'll have some extra stuff coming midweek. I wouldn't normally put it out on Tuesday. Probably these things will probably normally come out on a Wednesday or Thursday. But considering we have a game on Thursday, might as well get it out a little bit early. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. All right. Um, well, everyone, what's man of the match, Joe Patrick? Um, Guzan Robinson. Oh, that's a good call. I like that one. Yeah. I like Why not? It. Why not? All right. That'll do it for Five Strike Final. We'll be back, like we said, with some more stuff midweek. Uh, and then we'll be there on Thursday, tweeting and being depressed and annoyed that we're in a tiny, tiny trailer and watching this team lose to a bunch of people from Costa Rica. So, that'd be fun. Be a lot of fun. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.